This is episode number 166, Going Ultra and Beating the Odds with Kate Boyle. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help you be better every day. My truck came to a stop and I immediately couldn't feel my legs. My truck was crunched. The steering wheel and everything in front of that was crunched up against my legs. I couldn't feel my legs and I found myself wondering if I was paralyzed and if I would ever walk or bike again. I found myself with an opportunity to either freak out because I might not ever walk or bike again or to be really calm. And I chose to be calm and breathe. Hope you guys had an awesome holiday and enjoyed some time off of work, maybe some time with family, and maybe even some extra time outside. I'm spending my holidays in New Mexico and Arizona, soaking in some sunshine, getting in some riding, and visiting family, and I always look forward to this trip down to the desert. For those of you who don't know, I actually grew up in New Mexico, and then I lived in Colorado for eight years before I moved up to Canada. 2019 has been an awesome year. There's still a couple days left if there's something that you want to get done by the end of the year, but it's been awesome. Thank you so much to you guys for listening to the show and being a part of this awesome community. This podcast has been going for over two and a half years and it wouldn't be here without you. Also, thanks to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and on PayPal via your donations. Your help matters and it means the world to me. Thank you so, so much for what you've been doing to help us keep this show moving forward. And if you're interested in contributing, you can go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts or look in the show notes and there is a button you can click for Patreon or for PayPal if you want to make a donation. Another way that you can help support my work is just to share the show with your friends And if an episode is helping you, it'll probably help your friends too. So if you could just share it with them, make sure you hit the subscribe button or leave us a review. So let's talk about today's awesome guest, Kate Boyle. Kate Boyle is plain and simple and inspiring human. These days, you might know her for her impressive accolades, including 24-hour world champion in 2018, Arizona Trail 300 record holder. She won the women's and she was also second overall in the men, which I think is really awesome. Two-time winner of the solo 24 hours in the old Pueblo. And she just kicks butt. And she and I have done a lot of the same races, although she's done a lot more of the bike packing stuff than I have. But she just is amazing. And I hope that she and I get to ride together someday because oddly enough, we still have never done that. She didn't always ride a bike or have a love for bikepacking or ultra-endurance events. She grew up riding horses and later found climbing and skiing. As a Knowles instructor and with her master's in environmental education, she constantly is in teaching and leadership roles. She first found mountain biking as a way to play outside after a climbing injury that she was rehabbing in 2011. And she loved single speeding. She did the Great Divide mountain bike route. So she's been riding for a while, and it's been really cool to see her rise in the ultra-endurance world. If you follow Kate on Instagram, you might have noticed that the last 12 months have been a trying time for her. Almost exactly one year ago to the day, she got in a severe car accident. Her truck was T-boned on an icy road, leaving her with a quadruple fractured pelvis, a broken sacrum, a broken fibula, and a ruptured bladder. Pretty serious. 
between 10 days in the hospital, five weeks in a wheelchair, and four weeks on crutches, she had a long way to go to move forward and get back to the bike. She was able to ride the roller coaster of devastation and gratitude and positivity and was on her bike again in a total of five months after her accident. The community stepped in to support her during this very difficult time through a very generous GoFundMe campaign. This year, she's giving back through the Karen Project nonprofit to get more girls outside and has spent the last 84 days, the amount of time she was stuck indoors due to her accident and recovery, outside. And she's been documenting that entire experience on Instagram as well. In today's show, we talk about Knowles and leadership in the backcountry, what sports contributed to Kate's self-confidence, the decision to go from riding a bike to racing a bike, men versus women in ultra sports. We talked about some details of ultra racing, pacing and nutrition and mental tips and also self-care. We got into talking about her car accident and recovery from injury and the power of community, GoFundMe and social media. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this great episode with Kate. If you don't want to miss another episode, make sure that you go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter and sign up for my newsletter. I send out a weekly message every Friday letting you know about the Crush It Monday and the episode for the week. And if I have any other things I've come across that I think will be useful or exciting for you. I also have written a 21-page ebook called Partly Sunny, Cultivating a Resilient Mind. And you get that for free if you sign up for the newsletter. And if you don't want to sign up for the newsletter, but you still want the book, you can get that at moxieandgrit.com. Cool. Well, let's get into this amazing discussion about going ultra and beating the odds with Kate Boyle. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sonia. It's great to be here. I know it's so fun to get to talk to you because we live in parallel universes and we've done a lot of the same things, but our paths haven't crossed yet. I know. I'm really excited for the day and I hope that it's soon that we get to cross paths in person. Yeah. And I was super stoked when you won 24 Hour Worlds in 2018 because it was so cool to see another American woman just like crushing it there. And yeah, huge congrats on that. Thank you so much. I was certainly inspired by your ride a few years prior. Oh, thanks. So I'd love to get into how you got into the sport, because I bet that a lot of people think you've been riding like your whole life, and that's not the case. No, I was pretty late to mountain biking. I wish that I had found it earlier because it feels like such a natural fit for me, but I didn't get on a mountain bike until I was 24, I think, in 2010 initially, and I really stumbled into it. I was a climber and skier and trail runner originally a horseback rider. And then through a kind of series of injuries, bikes were just kind of what I was led to as a way of recovering from that. And I found mountain biking after a broken ankle. And that took me pretty quickly to bikepacking, actually. And from there, I was just like, wow, this is what I am meant to be doing right now. And how did you decide to go to bikepacking? Because for a lot of people, it's really intimidating to carry all your stuff and be out there by yourself for multiple days? Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to have been exposed to other multi-day ways of traveling in the backcountry by backpacking and whitewater rafting and expeditionary backcountry skiing. And all that had been what I'd studied in college. And I'd been working as an outdoor educator for multi-week expeditionary field courses for Edward Bound and Knowles and Prescott College. And so that was that way of living and moving was my career. 
And so that was the foundation I had as a way of exploring the backcountry when I started mountain biking. And once I started mountain biking, I was like, whoa, if I could figure out how to take my bike camping, then I could go so much farther and see so many more things than when I'm, say, walking or climbing because the pace is just that much faster. And so you can cover, I realized before I really even did it that I'd be able to cover ground at a pace where I could see landscapes change and connect to them at a pace that was also really digestible. That's so awesome that you had that backcountry experience before you started mountain biking. Yeah, I feel really lucky for that. It made the transition to bikepacking pretty straightforward and set me up to be able to go on some pretty big trips quickly. Awesome. And I want to hear more about your instructor. Like you work as a Knowles instructor, and I think that probably some people don't know what that is. So I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. So Outward Bound and Knowles, which was the National Outdoor Leadership School and Prescott College are all forms of adventure or outdoor education. And that model of education uh, uses expeditionary, so field-based backcountry experiential education as a way of teaching leadership and character development. And we use the way of traveling, whether it's hiking or skiing or climbing, as the way of learning those personal and interpersonal and group skills that are really transferable to anyone's life outside of that trip itself. And so for a long time, really until just a year and a half ago, when I decided to commit more time to being an athlete, I worked full time in the field. And so in about 10 years, I acquired over 200 weeks working in the field with students and got to go to some amazing places and work with some incredible co-instructors and students, all of whom I've learned a ton from. And, And honestly, those experiences of facilitating that type of learning experience over and over again are really what gave me the skills that I've been able to apply to both personal bikepacking expeditions around the world and also ultra endurance racing. And what what would a typical day in the field look like? <laughs> I don't know if there's necessarily a typical one, but it's definitely like a general progression would be that you wake up probably around when it's getting light and then get out of whatever you're sleeping in, usually a tarp or a mid, so like a pretty lightweight shelter. Go to the group kitchen where we all have small cook groups and use a backcountry stove, whether like a whisper light or something, and make breakfast. Potentially teach a lesson, whether it's me or a co-instructor teaching a lesson on leadership or natural history or environmental studies. My courses usually integrated a lot of environmental studies into them. Or sometimes students would teach lessons because they're learning to be outdoor educators. And then we would pack up and travel whatever mode that was, whether it was down the river or walking or bikepacking even became a type of course I taught. We'd usually, because it's a group of 12 to 16 people, there's it's not super efficient travel. So there's usually <laughs> a lot of stopping and futzing and house, taking breaks for lunch and all that. And then we'd get to camp, wherever that was, and break and set up and take care of personal care stuff and then come back together and debrief the experience. Usually there are student leaders of the day, and so they have some responsibility and decision-making. And so we kind of process that and how that went and give each other feedback and then make dinner and have some sort of evening meeting where 
we either just kind of affirm the experience we're having or talk about something that's going on in the group that is great or needs to change or I mean that really depends on the objectives of the course but that tends to take us to bedtime and then we go to sleep and wake up and do it over again and that can be like three weeks (laughs) and I mean in these situations you're definitely a leader and there's it's a leadership role Did you have any challenges being in that role? Because, I mean, lots of things can happen whenever you're out there. And also, I'm sure that there's a lot of different personality types that come with it. So it's not just being proficient in the environment, in the outdoors, and and in teaching. There's, like, this big leadership component. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I think back on my experiences, probably the most challenges come from those dynamics of working with either a co-instructor or a student that just is challenging for me because of who I am and the weak areas that I have as a human. And those are ultimately what have made me grow so much from that experience. And being responsible for, you know, eight to 12 students and each of them growing as much as they can and getting a lot out of the experience, having to make decisions that is in the best interest of all of them as a whole group can be challenging. So I think that 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 certainly was challenging. And it's a challenge that I'm really grateful for because of what I learned from it. And it sounds like, I mean, you've done a lot of different sports and now mountain biking is kind of your passion and the main thing that you're focusing on. And I love talking about confidence and thinking about confidence. And for me personally, my self-confidence came from endurance sports and I don't know if you can point to any of the one one sport that you've done and said, yeah, that one really contributed to me having more confidence. Or if you can just say where you think that your confidence comes from, because to take on a lot of the challenges that you've done, you have to be pretty confident in, in your ability and in, in yourself. So where do you think that comes from? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of layered as a progression in my life. I grew up mostly riding horses as a girl from about 10 years old until probably 20-ish when I transferred colleges. So about a decade of my like adolescence. I rode horses and worked with horses. And I think that to be successful with horses, you have to have confidence because they have such an amazing intuition of how you are feeling. And they, I think that the and fiery ones and the young ones, they just know if you're not confident and they like won't really pay attention or do what you're asking them to do. And so that and having some success with that was gave me a foundation for confidence, but I was also not necessarily a naturally confident person. Like I was really shy as a kid and teen and young adult. And so then I think that through some of these more outdoor recreation sports like rock climbing for example was a source of confidence because i it just involves choosing a challenge and having to commit to it and developing the confidence in myself to have the technical skills to play skier and build anchors and lead students eventually and then push myself climbing that was a new layer of confidence and then i think one of the biggest things and the reason that I'm still pursuing this is that once I decided that I wanted to race my bike and really being pushed probably to the point of failure or like being just really challenged over and over and over again 
once I found ways to get over those challenges that come through ultra endurance racing, that's been one of the biggest sources of confidence for me. And get ending up in a place where I'm racing with some of the strongest men in the ultra endurance field and just seeing what belief in myself has led to. I love that. And I think this is a really interesting topic you brought up of deciding to go from riding to racing, particularly not just for women, but specifically I want to talk about for women because it seems like our sport, like there aren't nearly as many women racing as there are men. But if you go out riding on the trail, like most of the time I see like as many women out riding as I do men. So like for you, totally. what, what was the impetus to say, okay, I'm ready to put a number plate on my bike and, and see what happens? Yeah, I think that it came out of curiosity of what was I capable of. And no one ever pressured me to, or even really even encouraged and not in like a bad way, but it was just really a decision that I could make for myself. And my bikepacking partner and partner at the time too was an incredibly strong ultra endurance male racer. And I found myself just riding with him a ton and we we're bikepacking all over the world. And I was just, you know, like we we're equal, like we we're very capable. And I just found myself wondering like, well, he can do this and I can do this and then he can do that. I wonder what I can do. And I think I was so, I felt so supported by the, and it just happened to be mostly men that I was riding with and encouraged by what I was able to do on a bike that I just felt supported and like the risk of failure in a race wasn't a big deal because it wouldn't threaten my identity or sense of self-worth, I guess, or my confidence. And yeah. so it was choosing to race felt like a really intentional and decision for myself. Yeah. And like the failure part, I think is really interesting because correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but it seems like whenever the races get longer or when there's way more variables, like bikepacking has so many variables involved that the risk of failure is much higher than doing like a hundred mile race or a 50 mile race. Do you think that your thoughts around failure would be different if you were doing shorter races? Or do you think that because so many people fail at these really long races that like it takes the pressure off? That's a good question. I think for shorter races, or at least the way I approach shorter races is that because they're so much shorter, it is kind of easier to just be all in, like regardless of what happens, like you're just going to finish because you can make it to the finish line. And for some of the re these races, like there are, there's just so much time that I think your exposure to something going wrong is greater, but then also you don't necessarily have the risk maybe of continuing could be pretty great. Like, or you just don't have the resources to make it, to turn it around. And so I think that people don't finish these races for all different reasons. And I try really hard to minimize the reasons I wouldn't finish. But one thing I'm personally committed to is just continuing on, not stopping out of a fear of failure or just giving up, you know, but stopping if I choose to stop for the right reasons. Like this is going to have a detrimental impact on my body for whatever physical reason. Or I'm also just a really big believer in like, Kind of the toll that these races can take if they're not right for you like and I don't know if I can really explain this well but like, we need to be happy you know and I think they're long enough that if you're just suffering through a 
three day race, then why, what sort of message are you really sending yourself? Like, I think that these rides should be a celebration of being outside and moving and having the opportunity to do that and choose that. And there are certainly hard times, but I think that we need to, I need to come back to that and continue to ride for those reasons. I'm sorry that ended up a little tangent though. (laughs) No, I think that's awesome. And like, I love that the longer a race gets, the more or the less like gender matters. So like whenever you are lining up for these races, I mean, we all have our own like personal bests or goals that we're going towards. But then if there's like a placing, you know, winning the race or setting the course record or, you know, having those types of goals, do you ever get caught up racing the men? Because with where you're racing, like it's I'm not no disrespect to any of the other women in the races, because I'm sure that there's other really fast women in the races, but with where you are, it seems like you're with the top men, as you mentioned. So is it hard to separate that sometimes where you're like, I'm racing to be my best? Because I know for me, it's hard sometimes with the men because I I just want to beat them too. But I have to remember like, what is my race and what is this about? And so are your races like more about just you and your race or do you get caught up in racing the men as well, trying to get, get the overall? Because like for Arizona Trail, like... I can't remember if you're like fifth or seventh overall. Maybe you can elaborate on that too. But yeah, like you end up racing the men, but you're also racing yourself and you're racing the women and you're racing the clock. So like separating that would be hard. Yeah, no, it is hard. And I think especially because there's only racers can only do ultra racers can only do so many ultras in a year. You know, they're just too big to do more than a couple. And if you're really ambitious, more than a few, And so the fields themselves, like, unlike maybe the cross country circuit, like we don't get to race all the ultra racers at once. And so it, I think in that way, it is exciting when you find yourself with someone that you want to like, that you're really racing. And for example, in the Arizona trail last year, I was racing with Neil Belchenko, who is an incredibly talented male ultra racer. And he, I passed him, he was leading the race and I passed him in the middle of the first night. And then he woke up, he heard my I-9 wheel clicking along. As <laughs> no. <I> was coasting. <laughs> yeah. And then we rode together for a little while. And I just remember being so excited because I was like, I'm right. I'm winning with Neil. Like it's me and Neil at the front of this race. And I did lose sight of <laughs> riding within myself for a little bit. And kind of ended up making a couple of questions, not questionable, they were certainly fine decisions, but I paid for them later on and ended up finishing second to him by, I think, an hour, which in the scale of 50 hours, I was quite excited about. And I think that what I learned from that was just, of course, that, you know, while like, we can, we still, even though I do have this mission of showing everyone what women are capable of, at the same time, like in the moment, I have to ride within myself and ride my own race. And it's the same as for any other distance. But I hope that answers that question. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. You, so you were second overall, including the men. And then you had the seventh fastest time ever. Is that right? <laughs> I'm just trying to get the, my, my stats right. Yeah, second overall in that race. And I think it was actually the fifth fastest time yeah. ever out of three people, awesome. I believe. Cool. So I want to talk about pacing and we can talk about it in different contexts, like in a bike packing race where it's multiple days versus like a 24 hour race, which 
compared to bikepacking is is almost a walk in the park. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, a big question people ask me is like, well, if you're doing a 24 hour race, like I'm not super experienced in bikepacking, but like in a 24 hour race, people say, you know, how do you know how hard to go? Like, how do you pace it? And so what, wh- how do you pace it? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think that I'm trying in my head, I'm trying to compare my, the multi-day races to the 24 hour races for pacing. And I think that what it comes down to is for a 24 hour race, I do let myself go out a little bit harder because in that size field, like where you end up on those first couple laps, I think does make a difference as the field sorts out. And for, whereas in an ultra passing isn't as much of an issue, like as long as you just kind of start where you want to be, people are really respectful and the fields are pretty small. And so for the ultras, it's really about just pacing. And I don't use, like I do race with a power meter just for the sake of my coach having the information because he loves to have it. But it's more of just like this internal feeling of like, I know the feeling in my legs that my legs can sustain for a long time. And the main thing is just not burning my matches on steep climbs. And I do this for 24 hour racing and the multi-day, but even more for the multi-day is just like looking at something that will just take that little burst of power. And instead of standing up out on the pedals and hammering for even a few seconds, like I just hop off and push up it and get back on. And so that mentality and it takes I think a lot of discipline to just start (laughs) in the first hour of the race you know of like getting off and the Arizona trail in 2018 I was at the front of the group with a couple of guys and there were a couple of guys ahead of me but there was we ride through what's are the Canelo Hills and it's just 30 miles that takes the average person like six-ish hours of climbs that are like three to 10 minutes (laughs) and it's just up and down and up and down and up and down. And I was just riding along and descending and then going up some of these really steep, short little climbs that I just hop off. And there was this whole line of guys grumbling apparently about this girl who was getting off her bike and pushing. And they were like mashing their way up these climbs behind me and then passing and whatnot. And, you know, eventually it all sorted out. And then 20 hours later, they were hours behind me. And then the next day, <laughs> there was like a half a day behind me. And it was just like, and that's one of those things is just being able to identify like what it, it's having an internal governor, I think. Yeah, and then there comes a point so, where so you're just hard. like, yeah, it is hard. And then there comes a point where, at least in my like coach's words, is you just ride to a pace that's slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> And that's like once you're starting to get tired and you think it's like an hour 12 in an ultra and maybe, I don't know, hour 6 or 8 in a 24-hour race, and you, that's when you just start pushing more and until you're done. <laughs> yeah, I think that that pacing advice is really good. And you can apply that if you're a new endurance racer. Say you don't ever want to do 24 hours or anything longer say that someone listening is like signing up for a 50 mile race and their goal is just to finish the race. Like that advice you gave is the exact advice I actually gave my husband. We we're just riding it for fun, but we were doing the Sedona big friggin' loop. And, yeah. you know, he would start off strong. And then as time would go on, it would become harder and harder to the point where he wasn't sure he could finish the ride. 
And the advice I gave him was the same. Like on all these like little steep technical moves, like it's not worth putting out a crazy amount of power just to get over it. And so I told him like, get off your bike and just like walk up that little section. He's like, but I can ride it. And I said, I know you can ride it now, but that's going to cost you later. So yeah, I think that that that's amazing and that people should listen to this because I think a big reason why people fail at endurance and ultra endurance events is because of those small things that compound over time where whenever you first start doing them, it doesn't even hurt. It doesn't feel like anything, but like three, five, 10, you know, 30 hours later, that's going to start costing you. So thanks for that great piece of advice. Totally. And that just your comment about the 50 mile ride completely related to all of these ideas around pacing for me. And, and I think my overarching goal or piece of advice is you want to, whatever the length of the ride, (laughs) three hours, five hours, 10 hours, an hour and a half, even, you know, like you want to get to the halfway point feeling great and feeling like you can actually increase your pace. And so I try to pace myself so that halfway in, I still have, I feel great. And I feel like I'm just warmed up. (laughs) And I think that that can actually lead to a lot of success and more fun. And it takes a lot of courage to do that because you have to believe that halfway through, especially when it's, you know, 25 hours is the halfway point. You have to have the faith and the confidence to say, yeah, like I am going to feel better in the second half, even though it's been this many hours, I'm still going to feel better if I go this pace. Whereas like other people would be afraid to believe that. And so they end up going too hard at the start because they don't believe that if they have a controlled pace in the beginning, that they're still going to feel better later. Totally. And you have to be okay with watching your competition right away. Like (laughs) I've never won a 24 hour race where I've been winning for the first 12 hours. I've always had to watch them right away. And it is so hard because you just have to trust that it'll work out and it always does. Yeah. And you have to know your body so well. And the way you learn is just by doing so, you know, for people listening, like there is no magic bullet or magic recipe. There's tips that you can take, but ultimately you need to go out yourself and try and maybe fail multiple times before you can figure out where that sweet spot is for you. Totally. Um, so I want to ask you about nutrition for 24 hour racing. Cause that's something that people ask me a lot as well. And I loved reading how you uh, fuel for 24 hour racing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think that people are just always surprised when they hear about how other people are eating on their bikes for 24 hours. Well, I guess that for me, Well, one, I'll get back to the, like, you need to be having fun. And I think that whether it's the bike you're riding or the clothes you're wearing or the food you're eating, it all needs to be contributing to you having a good time on your bike. And then it also needs to be contributing to like you being comfortable and feeling strong and all of that. And so I mostly eat chocolate chip, gluten-free cookies, (laughs) gluten-free blueberry muffins, And then an assortment of other snacks that sound appealing for that weather. And so in some cases, I've had added on Snickers bars, sometimes like rice and soup I really enjoy for overnight, like 24-hour races that are supported. You can have that sort of thing. I do use like shot-type blocks depending on what my palate is into those days just straight up like ginger juice. And yeah, I I primarily in those long races do fuel mostly with sugar and sugar based things, really simple carbs that rice based things that are easy to digest 
with a little bit of fat in there as well, because that keeps my stomach happy. And that actually helps me keep my stomach from turning. But yeah, chocolate chip cookies and muffins are like the majority of it. <laughs> and like, do you do the same thing for bikepacking or does your plan change? Yeah, the, for bikepacking, it depends a little bit on if I have to carry all my food for the whole way or if I can resupply. For the bikepacking, at least if when I'm starting out with all the food that I can choose, I it's the same, the cookies and muffins. And then I'll add in a couple of granola bars. And gosh, I honestly, I haven't gotten to race my bike in over a year now. So I'm kind of remembering what other random things I put in there. But yeah, the, that mix of like, pastry type things and gummy type things and some drink mix. Awesome. So we've talked about pacing, nutrition, and then the last kind of like element I think of ultra endurance racing is, I mean, there's the equipment and the self-care, but I want to talk about the mental side of things because undoubtedly it really doesn't matter how long your race is, even in, in like a short track race, like there are thoughts of wanting to quit because if you're pushing yeah. yourself and doing something hard, you want to quit. And it's what you do in that moment that really defines like what kind of a racer you are. So like what kind of mental tips do you have for people who, you know, this is a scenario where you shouldn't quit, but you just feel like quitting because it feels hard. Like, do you have any specific things that you employ to keep you from quitting? Yeah, I think when it gets hard, I remind myself that yes, it is hard and it will always get better. And I think that maybe it takes having the experience to have experienced those better moments, you know, like, and they're not necessarily even crossing the finish line, but there are just, I think following those lows come highs in ultra racing or endurance racing where you just feel great and it can take a long time for that up to happen. But that feeling of just like ha riding in the moment and, finding flow with your bike on the trail and just completely letting go of everything else in life and just it being you and your bike and the trail. That reminding myself that that is coming <laughs> is a motivator for me. And then I think that also just bringing gratitude into the opportunity to do that and reminding myself that like I have so much to be grateful for and like I have chosen to do this. Like there, no one in this world is making me race my bike for a really long time, except for me choosing to do it because I want to. And coming back on those reasons is really helpful. But yeah, having that gratitude for the opportunity and the people who make it happen and the place I get to ride through. I think those are the two big things, knowing it'll get better and gratitude for getting to do that. Awesome. And like, what are some self-care tips? Because I noticed like I've, I went back, I went through and I've read like a bunch of interviews that you've done and that's been a common theme in your interviews. Yeah. I think that one of the main things, and it's a lot like non-competitive backcountry travels, just to be on top of like being proactive with whatever it is your body needs, like not waiting to drink, not waiting to eat, not waiting to use shamey cream if you need that or delayer ad layer and I think people get worried about wasting time but then the longer you wait the more you actually need and you kind of then have to react rather than be proactive and that can end up taking more time than you need to be and then if you're around other people also just being okay like taking care of what you need it doesn't matter that the person next to you isn't eating or drinking like you have no idea if 
they need to be right now or if they're just not taking good care of themselves. And so taking the time and letting yourself sit up and maybe fall back a little bit to do that. Yeah. And like mentally, whenever you start a race, like I know that this can happen to me if I let it get if I let it have control. It's like you start and you're like, oh, my gosh, like I have 99 miles left or I have like 349 miles left. Yeah. How do you break down the distance in your head? Yeah, I kind of I make myself not think about how many hours or how many miles it is. And I break it into really digestible chunks and goals. And so depending on the race, it'll either be kind of it's generally split based for either laps or for sections of trail. And I just focus on that. And for like the Arizona trail, I'll print off a little split type sheet and it's it just has like places that I am trying to get to and the first goal is to get to the first place that's like six hours in and then I'm not and I'm not allowed to think about the next one or the one that's tomorrow it's just that one and then it's the next one and it's the same with 24-hour racing for me generally like three laps is a good mental goal and that's like usually around three to four hours and so that's like for me a really tangible amount of time to just be focusing on Cool. So I want to talk about the last 12 months because you've had <laughs> kind of a tumultuous time, but it also like you've also done a really great job showing the positivity and gratitude on that roller coaster ride. But I'm sure there are moments of like despair and devastation. So can you talk about your accident and also like how you re- how you perceived injury and recovering from injury? Because I know that's a question that's hard for a lot of people when they haven't had an accident or an injury to the great length and extent that you did. So on Christmas Eve in 2018, so almost a year ago, I was driving my truck on a wet road and lost control of the rear end of it on black ice and went out of control and in the process of of spinning across the road, an oncoming car T-boned me in the driver's side door going probably about 50 miles an hour. When my truck came to a stop, I was fully conscious and it turned for the record, the people in the other car, one person had a concussion and all ended up healthy and recovered. But I, my truck came to a stop and I immediately couldn't feel my legs and my truck was crunched like the steering wheel and everything in front of that was crunched up against my legs. And I couldn't feel my legs. And I found myself wondering if I was paralyzed and if I would ever walk or bike again. And it was actually in that moment that I was so grateful I'd been working with this sports psychologist, Dr. Kristen Keim, for a while because I found myself with an opportunity to either freak out because I might not ever walk or bike again or to be really calm. And I chose to be calm and breathe and decided that if I never walked or biked again, that that would be okay. And I would be okay because I've done a lot of that in my life already. But if there was a chance that I would, then I was going to do everything I could to make sure that happened. And ultimately, it turned out that I had a quadruple fractured pelvis, a broken sacrum on the left side, broken fibula on my left leg, and I had ruptured my bladder. To make a somewhat long story a little shorter, I was transferred to a trauma center hospital by way of ambulance because the weather wasn't good enough to fly a helicopter. I had an emergency surgery on my bladder that evening on Christmas, I guess, or in the wee hours of Christmas. And then following a few days 
I had a surgery to stabilize my pelvis and sacrum and I had an external fixator on my pelvis screws in my sacrum that are still there today. And I spent 10 days from the ICU up to the orthopedic floor in the hospital and then another five weeks in a wheelchair and then another four on crutches. And so I think that once on Christmas Day when the orthopedic surgeon came in and drew a picture on a whiteboard of a pelvis and what mine looked like and told me that I had an opportunity for a full recovery, I just couldn't believe how lucky I was. Because not only had I survived that car accident without dying, without a head injury or without being paralyzed, I had an opportunity to have a full recovery back to racing, not even just moving, but racing at an elite level and going and moving, my, pushing my body as hard as I am inspired to, to get to the places I want to go and the way I want to get there. And so while, you know, only laying on your back for 10 weeks straight because of an external fixator, like having open wounds that need to be cleaned every single day because of the external fixator and just like the pain of a broken pelvis like all those things are really real and suck for sure and are is a pretty devastating experience at the same time it was at that for those 10 weeks the idea of being able to get to a place where I could pedal or and walk and run and ski and do all the things outside with my body again, it was just like completely fueled me. And so I think that while I really hope that all these, all the listeners are not going to experience a traumatic injury such as this, regardless of what the injury is, just remembering that like with patience and hard work and belief, if you just remember, you will get to do those things again and that you get to choose to, make a recovery happen is a very, it's an incredible gift. That's so powerful. And I think it'd be really hard during certain moments, like where you think like, well, why me? Or like the anger around it. And as you mentioned, like, not that you want other people to be hurt like you, but the other people kind of almost just like walked away with barely any issues. So like whenever those thoughts came up of like, why me or the victim mindset, like how did you get through those? I don't know why, but I guess where my brain goes is more like, why am I so lucky to have only had this happen? Because people die in that sort of car accident all the time and or end up with even worse injuries. And so I think that maybe I've been lucky for enough in my head that my head doesn't really go to the victim sort of place in that way. I've certainly found myself like grieving that that happened and just like feeling just sad for my body almost like just, and to have so much to work through and not only in those 10 weeks, but like this whole year, it's just like a lot to ask of yourself. (laughs) And so in a way I feel bad for it. I don't know if that makes sense, but the, I don't really know if I have a good answer for that other than like, maybe it's, it's just flipping it around and being like, well, why me? Like, why is it? Yeah, it sucks. And why was it not worse? And so why am I this lucky in that way? I love that because you, you're looking at how it could have been worse and being grateful that it wasn't worse. And 
that's a gift. So I think I think that that's a really healthy way to look at it. Yeah, and it's interesting too, Sonia, because right now it's like 11 months in and I know that this sort of experience is transformative and I know and I've been well coached to by everyone to not think of myself as going back to where I was and it's not I'm not having a comeback and I'm not working on getting back to where I was I'm just moving forward from it and while it's I feel like I was thrown into a really like an accelerator in many ways for as far as having a serving of life lessons and growth that I don't necessarily I don't I can't always gracefully keep up with it is overwhelming at times but at the same time like it is something that I know at some point I'm going to look back and be like, wow, that like completely changed my life and who I am as a person. And that is such an incredible opportunity. And I think that whether it's like a traumatic accident or an injury, there's something completely out of our control or just a big challenge such as a race or an expedition, like those things that make that push us really to our comfort zone or beyond it, like those are the things that make us really show up and show us like our areas of weakness and where we can grow and also show us really how strong we are when we let ourselves be. I love that. And I think that's really great advice that I haven't heard before. Like, don't try to make a comeback or get back to where you were before, just move forward. And, you know, we're different people. And like, as time goes on, and we always like compare ourselves to who we used to be, but we change over time. And yeah, like, giving yourself the opportunity to move forward instead of look back and, and just try to be like you used to be, I think is a really powerful way to just give yourself permission to just do what needs to be done and, and be happy with where you are. Yeah, totally. And like you did a fundraiser during this time to help you with some additional bills and lost time at work through GoFundMe. Can you talk about what getting that kind of support from people was like? Oh my God, that was so overwhelming. My best friend and coach put that together for me while I was in the hospital. And at first I was a little resistant. Then I was like, well, no, like I need help and I need to be okay asking for help. And we calculated roughly just like the money I wouldn't be making by working the field courses I was about to try to work and the kind of as to the best of our ability expenses that we anticipated and set a very, I mean, to me, it was a, a lot of money. This also came at a time where I drained my bank account the year prior in transitioning from a full-time outdoor educator to racing toward professional mountain biker career. And so it was a really hard time for me to find myself in this situation. And so that went up and within a week or within a few days that we had surpassed the goal that we had made. And within a week Whoa. it had doubled. <laughs> and I, I mean, I wasn't in any headspace in the hospital to even like send anything to anyone on the phone. And so it was really just like through the, through other people sharing it and promoting it and sharing it. And that suddenly this community just came together and, gave me the money and also the encouragement through social media and messages on the GoFundMe that just like showed me a level of support that I never knew I had. And I mean, I get teary just thinking about it. Like, and I couldn't even look at the GoFundMe for like a month without crying. 
it might have even been even longer, <laughs> but I would just get so overwhelmed. And like, I think that that was one of the hardest things for me to grapple with was like, why do people care about me so much? Like, why do they want to see me back on my bike? And having that support was such a huge gift. And just like, it wasn't even a motivator per se, but like, it just helped me in all the times that it was really hard to remember that it would get better that it would because like all those hundreds of people believed it yeah and like, like well if they do then i will <laughs> i have to like social media you know is kind of a double-edged sword and oftentimes we hear like how it's demonized but like this is a really positive way that social media has contributed to building community and support in your life and in other people's lives because it feels good to help support somebody else too so like there's a lot of positive yeah. that comes out of that as well yeah definitely yeah and then you've started your own fundraiser like <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to talk about that yeah so prior to the car accident i had agreed to or offered to be an ambassador for the karen project which is nonprofit that uses women's adventures in the outdoors to essentially crowdsource money that funds grants that the Karen Project then distributes to other nonprofits that are doing the work to increase outdoor opportunities for girls around the country. And examples of those programs that these listeners might be familiar with are like Little Bellas and Girl Ventures and Big City Mountaineers and Embark. Like they're whether it's a starting up nonprofit or a really established one who are working on their scholarship program, these nonprofits are working hard to make sure that girls and young women around the country are having opportunities to go outside and build confidence and have the those life experiences that I know shape both of the women that we are today. And so once my accident happened, I was like, well, what is my adventure going to be? And on it, while initially prior to my accident, I just assumed that it would be a big race or expedition that didn't really feel right yet, in part because I promised myself that I wouldn't do anything ultra this year, that recovering from a broken pelvis and sacrum and is ultra <laughs> is ultra like that was enough for a whole year. And so when I was thinking about what made the most what I was inspired to do, one of the big things was that I really wanted to give back to that community, the outdoor and mountain bike community that rallied to support me. And I wanted my recovery, um, knowing that it, it, sharing my story of my recovery along the way has reached and inspired a lot of people. I wanted the fundraiser to be a tribute to that and to be celebrating not necessarily like the big adventure, but the gift of every day's adventure of getting outside and moving just like what it was that I had that gift on Christmas day when my surgeon told me I'd, I'd get to do that again. And I decided I would do that for then that is go outside and move, use my body in the outdoors for 84 days, <laughs> which is the number of days that I could not use my body or go outside. And the reason for that, the, not using my body for 84 days, this in January, February, March is obvious because of the 
wheelchair and crutches external fixator but i was also in idaho where it was massively winter and you can't use a wheelchair or crutches outside they don't have wheelchair Uh, snow tires (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah it was those 84 days inside were really transformative for me and you know they say you don't really know what you have until you lose it and so i had the Kind of gift of seeing what I had narrowly escaped losing, and that was going outside and to wild natural places where I can move freely, and I get to do that again. And so my fundraiser is for the last 84 days of this year until Christmas Eve. I'm going outside and moving and using my body and celebrating movement in the outdoors in all different ways. I'm, I mean, I mostly ride my bike, but I've also been going on, I went on a long whitewater canoe trip and I go canoeing with my partners. One of the ways that we connect and spend time together, been running and hiking and backpacking. And once they're, I'm back in Idaho later this year, I'll go get on skis again. I'm really excited. Actually, my, the end of this whole endeavor in the last three days of my year from Christmas to Christmas will be a three day backcountry or four-day backcountry skiing trip where my partner Will and I will go snow camp over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and just go skiing and be nowhere near cars. Because <laughs> 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 apparently he pre- he promised me that while I was in the hospital last year. He was like, a year from now, we're just going to go skiing and sleep in a snow cave. And I was like, okay. And that was one of those things where it's like, that was motivating for me for three months. So so yeah, the but the fundraiser, the goal is to share those small adventures some of them are bigger like bikepacking and a seven day canoe trip but mostly they're the everyday adventure of getting out and whether it's close to home making time in a day-to-day life or traveling days and then also those you know I am lucky to have a lot of flexibility and getting to seek some of the longer all-day or multi-day adventures and share them and as a way of inspiring people to hopefully seek that on their own and also remind folks that like, while we, the lucky majority of us are born with able bodies, it is not something to be taken for granted for. And same with outdoor access, like a lot of people who I know do have the ability to go hike and bike and get in the outdoors, but it takes a lot to get there. And there are far more people in this country and because of my identity as a female like I want to make sure that the legacy one of the legacies of my recovery is that there are girls out there who I will likely never meet or know who they are and they will never know who I am but I'm hoping that they through one of those grants that the Karen Project can deliver as a result of my fundraiser that they're going outside and experiencing that and then that can bring the joy into their life that I've had in my life through moving outside. I think that's really awesome. And also the point that you made that you don't have to be doing like extreme ultra adventures to be able to really appreciate the outdoors. Totally. Yeah. Like today I was like, I had two hours and some intervals to do and it was snowing and (laughs) it was just like, well, I'm not one. I don't have my trainer with me. I'm committed to going outside I'm just going to do it. Like I, I have to, this is a commitment and it's part of like the workouts, part of my goals for next year. And 
And then, like, once you're soaking wet and freezing cold because it's snowing in Arizona, and <laughs> those are the sorts of rides that you just remember. And I find, found myself coasting down back to the house later at the end. And I was like, well, when I'm racing again next year, like, this is the sort of ride I'll reflect on and I'll remember as, like, one of those things that just makes it all worth it. You know, it's hard and awesome. <laughs> yeah, because, like, when that happens on race day, like it's the people who mentally are like ready to have fun on that day that are going to be successful. And the only way that you're going to get there is by doing it in practice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, awesome. It was hard for me to decide what to talk to on this podcast because I feel like we could have spent the entire podcast talking about your injury and the, all the different mental states and things that you did mm. to recover. But like you're a multifaceted person and you've achieved so much and I just didn't want it to be only about that. So like, where can people learn more about you? Where can people, if they, they really want to hear more about like the injury and that whole process, like how can people get more of you? Yeah. Well, a couple of ways, my website, yeah. www.imkait.com. That shares a little bit more of my story and you can contact me through that. Instagram at kate.boyle is a great way to hear more of my story from this last year, as well as connect with me through that way. And then through the Karen Project fundraiser, I'm also giving a series of talks um, that just share that more in this you know, format of talking and telling the story and sharing a little bit more of what happened and how I got through it and why it was worth it and what's next with the hope of just you know, spreading that joy and gift of moving outside and belief that, you know, regardless of the challenges we choose or don't choose, like we are capable of getting through them and they ultimately make us stronger and better equipped to serve this world. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being such an awesome and inspiring person and for sharing your journey. And I can't wait to continue watching you <laughs> and hopefully we can go for a ride sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Sonia. I hope we do get to cross paths and I guess there'll be a baby soon too. <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed that really amazing episode. Check out Kate Boyle's new website, follow her on Instagram and donate to the Karen project. Those are all linked up in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you really love this episode, take a screenshot and share the show with your friends online and tag both myself and Kate. We always love seeing whenever people are enjoying the show and it makes us feel even more inspired and super stoked. Hope the rest of your holidays are amazing. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you right back here next week.